Good morning. So I've had a few people uh, come up and ask me or make comment about my outfit. Um, today, today, I am Team Luca today, right? So, so this is a little bit different look for me, but today I am Team Luca. So uh, Pastor Eric and I reached out to Ghazi this morning, and uh, Bethany was induced last night and is still in the midst of that. So he's not born yet. And uh, according to Ghazi, it uh, still could be a while. Um, so, you know, pray for them. Um, pray for their, their young baby, as we will do now. All right? Let's go to prayer. Father, we do indeed thank you for this uh, wonderful couple, this wonderful young couple that you brought literally from the other side of the world to be a part of our uh, tiny church in the woods. And they've added so much. They've been such a special blessing to us. I know Ghazi working with the youth with us every Wednesday and the, the women loving on Bethany. And Lord, we're just thankful for them. Father, we, uh, we do pray um, for the labor that's going on right now. We pray that uh, that would um, go well, would go quickly, and uh, that they would soon see the birth of their son. Father, but uh, this, this baby will have some complications. This baby will have some uh, medical issues that need to be attended to. Father, I... I pray uh, for him as uh, perhaps dialysis, definitely surgeries, either soon or down the road. But Father, we know that you are sovereign, you are in control, you are the great healer, and that you have this little one in your tender care. I thank you for um, Bethany and Ghazi for their commitment to life, Lord, and they're going to face difficulties, but Lord, um, we are grateful that they are committed to life created in your image, and we look forward to coming alongside them and supporting them um, as they raise this little one. Father, um, we love you. Again, we know that you are in control, and we place this whole family in your uh, tender care. Father, we pray for the, the preaching of your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would use my preparation and my study to speak truth uh, into our hearts through your Holy Spirit, that we would be transformed by, by them. Lord, that our values and our, our worth and significance would be placed on the things that uh, have lasting value, not the things of this earth. Father, may you use that in our lives this day. We pray in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. So this morning, we're going to return to our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And so far in chapter 6, we have looked at the attitudes of our heart in relation to personal piety. We took a little bit of a detour last time to uh, dive deeper into the Lord's Prayer. But when we give to the poor, when we pray, when we fast, it should not be on display for the world to see. When we seek the praise of man, we might just get it. But if we do, that's all we receive. There is no reward awaiting us from the Father. Rather, when you pray, give Fast, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward, reward you. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 4. So this morning we're going to move uh, from our relationship with the father to our relationship with the world. We know that we live in this world, but we are not of this world. And the remainder of this chapter is broken up into two sections. This morning... Verses 19 to 24, we're going to look together at our abundance. 
Next time in verses 25 to 34, we'll focus on our daily needs and the attitudes of our heart associated with both. So if you haven't already, um, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 6, verse 19, and I'll be reading through verse 24. All right. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So if you followed along in your Bibles as I read the text, you may have noticed that Jesus established, as he's done elsewhere um, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus established his overarching principle, which in this case is verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he did that by using three different and distinct metaphors or examples. And in each metaphor, we're given a choice of how we're to live. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount was spoken not to the unbeliever, but to Jesus' disciples. See, we've already established that Jesus' message was spoken to them and preserved for us. And the choices that Jesus gives in his examples are the choices that we're posed with as we seek to live as those who are in Christ faithfully in this world. And then accompanying each choice are also two outcomes or the ramifications of those choices. First choice, verses 19 to 21, is between two treasuries. Two treasuries. You can either store up treasure on earth, or you can store up treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The second choice is between two visions. Two visions, light or darkness. The third choice, verse 24, is between two masters. Two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And we'll look at each one in turn, focusing primarily on the first one. So we'll begin with two treasuries. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the word treasures refers both to the things that are of value to us, wealth, riches, stuff, that's a technical term, stuff, and to the place they're kept. It's a very broad term, which the Lord uses very intentionally, all right? And we shouldn't limit the term to only, to only apply to money, okay? Rather, our treasure is anything, anything that we attach value to. 
It can certainly refer to money, stocks, bonds, savings accounts, but it can also refer to physical possessions, a house, a car, things that we collect, a job, our earthly reputation, and far more. And the Lord isn't concerned so much about what we possess as he is with our attitudes towards those possessions. Once again, Jesus looks beyond the surface to the attitudes of the heart, which he's done for the last chapter. And whether or not we have riches is not the issue. There's nothing wrong in and of itself with having wealth. All things come as a gift from God and they're to be enjoyed. The issue is our attitude toward wealth and where we place our ultimate value. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 19, Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler who asked, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus told him to obey the commandments, right? And after the young man claimed to have kept the commandments his entire life, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Note that phrase, treasure in heaven. And come, follow me, Matthew 19, 21. Then it continues, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Notice Jesus didn't condemn the young man for having riches. It's not ultimately about the money. Notice also that the command to sell all his possessions was directed solely at this individual in this encounter. It's not repeated nor mandated to others in the Bible. Nowhere else does Jesus, that I could find, nowhere else does Jesus command a disciple to sell all they have. The issue at hand with this young man was the attitude of the heart towards his riches and possessions. We're told that he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So ultimately, he valued his riches more than he valued eternal life. Remember, that was his initial question back in verse 16. I didn't read that, but that's the start of that passage. He said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He received his answer from the Lord, and he walked away. He didn't get the answer he wanted. He chose to lay up his treasures here on earth rather than lay them up in heaven. And we are daily faced with that same choice. We have that same choice. Immediately after the young man walked away, Jesus explained the principles to his disciples. He said, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Verses 13, or 23 to 26. 
See, with riches and possessions come great temptation. And the temptation is to value the gifts of the Creator more than the gift giver himself. The danger is that in the accumulation of physical comforts, we can lose sight of our need for a Savior. Judge Grossman, Pastor John's father, used to be in my grace group. And he used to say that this kind of person was the hardest to reach with the gospel. Those who have great wealth, significant education, and the illusion that they're self-made have a very difficult time seeing their great need. They take great comfort in what they've accumulated here on earth and neglect Jesus' command to store up treasures in heaven that will last eternally. It's difficult for such a person to enter the kingdom of heaven. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? But the command that Jesus gives about laying up treasure in heaven is not just for the rich. It's for all of his disciples, both rich and poor. The warning is about storing up treasures here on earth that in an ultimate sense just don't matter. They just don't matter. Jesus is dealing with those who get their main or even their total satisfaction in this life from things that belong to this world only. He's warning against the attitude of the heart, which is essentially the sin of idolatry. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes it this way. He says, no matter what it is or how small it is, if it is everything to you, that is your treasure. That is the thing for which you were living. This is the danger against which our Lord is warning us at this particular point. And then he goes on to describe what those treasures on earth can look like. The list is endless. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones again. Not only love of money, but love of honor. The love of position. The love of status. The love of one's work in an illegitimate sense. Whatever it may be, anything that stops with this life and this world, these are the things of which we must be wary lest they become our treasure. Doesn't matter what it is. We're in danger. So the reasons that Jesus gives for not storing up treasures here on earth is because moths and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. That doesn't happen in heaven. We all know the saying, which is 100% true, that you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you which means that all of the wealth and stuff, remember that's a technical term, that we stockpile on earth has an expiration date. All of it has an expiration date. Jesus told the parable of the rich fool, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is, and this is Jesus' final point, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Luke 12, 16 to 21. Our worldly possessions not only have an expiration date on the day that our soul is required of us, but they're, always, they're also subject to decay in this life as well. Moths and rust destroy Thieves break in and steal. Wealth can disappear overnight with a stock market crash. Homes can burn to the ground. Cars can be stolen right out of our driveways. Jobs, reputations, and relationships can end in an instant. Ultimately, nothing in this world lasts. And even the things that point in that direction we get tired of. That's just another point that we can add to that. Nothing in this world lasts. Only the treasures that are laid up in heaven will last for eternity. And according to Jesus, the treasures that are laid up in heaven are not subject to rot or decay. They're not subject to theft, but will last eternally. So how are we to go about laying up treasures in heaven? What does that look like? What should that look like in our our day-to-day lives? Apostle Paul said, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, and again, key, key phrase, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. 1 Timothy six seventeen to 19. It's real important that we understand the works that we do in this world in no way merit our salvation. In no way. That said, the works that we do and the love that we show to others most certainly affects our reward in the life to come. Matthew 25, Jesus uh, describes the final judgment where he will separate the sheep from the goats. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Matthew 25, 34 to 36. And the sheep will have a surprise. They're the ones on the right. The sheep will have a surprising response. They will ask, When did we do these things for you? When did we do these things for you? They don't recall feeding Christ or giving him water. They don't recall clothing him when he was naked or visiting him when he was sick. They don't have a clue about those things. But Jesus responds, 
Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Doing for the least of these, doing for the least of these is how you lay up treasure in heaven. There was a song that was written and performed in 1990, this goes back a ways, by Ray Bolts entitled, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. Many of you will be familiar with that song. And the lyrics describe a dream where someone goes to heaven and is approached by those who were impacted by his faithfulness. In the first verse, and thankfully I don't sing, right? In the first verse, he's approached by a young man who says, you may not know me now. And then he said, but wait, you used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. In the second verse, he hears the testimony of one who was brought to faith through a missionary. Then another man stood before you and said, remember the time a missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. Dream continues. As one by one they came, far as the eyes could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth, in heaven now proclaimed. And then the dream ends with Jesus taking the disciples' hand and saying, my child, look around you, for great is your reward. When you invest your time, your talent, and your treasures in others, when you, as Brother Harold says, make deposits in people's spiritual bank accounts, then you're laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. And those treasures will last for all of eternity. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, verse 21. The point is that the things that are most highly treasured occupy our heart, which is the center of our personality, embracing our mind, our emotions, and our wills. And as a result, the most cherished treasure, okay, the thing that's most important, the thing that you treasure most, subtly but infallibly controls the whole person's direction and values. Charles Spurgeon said, it's cool when I run across these on a week I'm preparing to preach, um, by accident, providence. Charles Spurgeon said, hold everything earthly with a loose hand, but grasp eternal things with a death-like grip. Our heart truly belongs to what it treasures most. May our hearts and our lives be focused and aligned on the treasures that last. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 20. 
All right, the uh, second metaphor that Jesus uses in verses 22 and 23 focuses on two visions, two perspectives or two outlooks, okay? And while the first metaphor was determined by the heart, this one is determined by our mind or how we look at the world and understand the world around us using our eyes, which are the windows to the soul. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. The eye is the lamp of the body in the sense that through the eye, the body finds its way. The eye lets in light. And so the whole body is illuminated. But bad eyes let in no light, and the body is in darkness. When the eye is functioning normally, the light it perceives means illumination, which is of benefit to the entire body. And when we focus on the things of God, when we focus upon the treasures that will last for an eternity, then we will see clearly. Our eyes are healthy and let in the light that illuminates the entire body. But when we focus on the things of the world, things that have no ultimate value and will not last, then our vision is distorted. The eyes are bad and do not let in light. The result is spiritual darkness. And as verse 23 says, how great is the darkness. There are two ways of looking at everything in the world. If your eye is healthy, the NASB says clear, the KJV says single, then you can view the world as it truly is. You can see things with clarity. But if your eye is bad, the KJV says evil, then the way you view the world will be distorted. The lens is not clear. The image is blurry. It's colored by certain prejudices and lust and desires. You'll focus on all the wrong things. All the wrong things. See, Jesus is still talking about laying up treasures in heaven here. Verse 21, we learn that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, we learn that in addition to the heart, the mind also controls man. Again, that's taken in through the eyes. The mind also controls man. The eye, whether it be healthy or bad, is the window to the mind. And if our thoughts and our affections are drawn to things of this world rather than to the treasures that last, then we're not seeing clearly. The man who divides his interest and tries to focus on both God and possession, possessions has no clear vision and will live without a clear orientation or direction. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? That phrase, that phrase, if then the light in you is is darkness, is sad. Because those with bad eyes who walk in darkness think they have light. But this light is in reality darkness. Darkness. The darkness is all the more terrible for failure to recognize it for what it is. They're self-deceived. Self-deceived. The good eye looks to God as its master. 
and fills the person with the light of God's will. The bad eyes looks to treasures on earth and admits only the darkness of greed and of self-interest. person's whole life will be determined by the kind of light the eye lets in. The eyes are literally the window to the soul. Jesus said, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. Stay focused. Stay focused. Look clearly. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Colossians 3.2 Don't let your vision become divided. Keep your single focus upon the treasure that will last for all eternity. Third metaphor is that of serving two masters. So not only do these things grip the heart, verses 19 to 21, and the mind, verses 22 and 23, but they also affect the will. Verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And as soon as we mention the word serve, we're in the realm of the will. We're in the realm of action and of decision. We can serve one master or we can serve the other. We can't do both. There is no middle ground. I'll probably repeat that in different forms. So just one more more time, just to be sure. We can't do both. There is no middle ground. The word to choose for serve is dulo, which means slave. It does not mean to serve as an employee or a hired hand. Rather, it means to be controlled by, to be controlled by. And that's evidenced by its usage alongside the word master, right? That word conveys the idea of someone who's in a position of authority. The slave is the sole property of one master and must give the master exclusive service. A disciple's loyalties cannot be divided. Cannot be divided. That's why the Apostle Paul describes himself that way in Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant, doulos, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That's in Romans. Philippians 1.1, he does it again, and he adds Timothy to the list. James, Peter, Jude, all use the same term to describe themselves at the beginning of each of their books. A doulos is the property of another. It's someone who is a sla- it is someone who is a slave and obeys the commands of his master. So the idea that they are a slave to Christ carries the sense of ownership and belonging to him, along with the service that it demands. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Our service to God must be wholehearted. There can be no half measures. That's why back in verses 19 to 21, Jesus speaks of laying up treasures in heaven rather than on earth. It's either one or the other, not both. Verses 22 to 23, our eyes either take in light or they take in darkness. We live in the light or we live in the darkness. It's either or, not shades of gray. 
not shades of gray. It's the same thing here in verse 24, made even more explicit. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, right? No one can serve two masters. It's true that in the times of Jesus, in some cases, shared ownerships of slaves existed. It was a thing. But even in those cases, even in those cases, loyalties would be divided. The slave didn't belong completely to any one owner. And the exception actually proves Jesus' point. No one can serve two masters. Jesus described those divided loyalties in terms of attitudes of service. He speaks of love and of hate, of devotion and of contempt. Again, there can be no half measures. Those attitudes of the heart are mutually exclusive. Love, hate. We cannot serve two masters. We're either for Christ or against him. We either walk in light or we walk in darkness. We either gather or we scatter. The great commandment is that we should love the Lord with our whole heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Matthew 22, verse 7, 37. No half measures. Matthew 22, verse 37. So far this morning, we've spoken in very broad terms and categories. Treasures on earth were defined as anything that we attach value to that ultimately does not last. We said it could mean love of money or wealth, love of honor, love of position, love of status, love of one's work in an illegitimate sense, and much more. But just in case, just in case, Jesus' point isn't getting through our sinful hearts, he ends with a very specific application. After stating that no one can serve two masters and why, he closes with the direct statement, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. Cannot is a strong word. It describes an impossibility. All right? Because it is. Slave or doulos is another strong word that necessitates complete devotion. It is possible to devote oneself wholly to the service of God And it is possible to devote oneself wholly to the service of money. But it is not possible to devote oneself wholly to the service of both. It can't be done. cannot be done. There can be no half measures with the Lord. It's not a sin to have money. But it is a sin to serve or be a slave to money. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I told you at the beginning, you know, a year and a half ago when I started this, I was going to use his stuff liberally in this uh, series. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones tells a story in his commentary, Studies on the Sermon on the Mount, that perfectly illustrates this point. I'm literally going to read it word for word. It's a story of a farmer who one day went happily and with great joy in his heart to report to his wife and family that their best cow 
had given birth to twin calves. One red, one white. And he said, you know, I I have suddenly had a feeling and impulse that we must dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. We will bring them up together, and when the time comes, we will sell one, keep the proceeds, and we will sell the other and give the proceeds to the Lord's work. His wife asked him which he was going to dedicate to the Lord. There's no need to bother with that, about that now, he replied. We'll treat them both in the same way, and when the time comes, we'll do as I say. And off he went. In a few months, the man entered his kitchen looking very miserable and unhappy. When his wife asked him what was troubling him, he answered, I have bad news to give you. The Lord's calf is dead. But she said, you had not decided which was to be the Lord's calf. Oh, yes, he said. I had always decided it was to be the white one. And it is the white one that has died. The Lord's calf is dead. And we may laugh at that story and think it's humorous because it is. But we have to ask the question in our own lives, why is it usually the Lord's calf who dies? See, we can't straddle the fence. We can't have our devotion divided. We either serve God or we serve money. We can't have it both ways. And the attitudes that's described in that illustration proves, shows the point, Right? Situations change. Life changes. And we make decisions based upon that rather than devoting to the Lord. What is the Lord's? Right? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father, guard our hearts. Guard our hearts. Father, help us daily to make choices that honor you in all things. Choices that store up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth. Because of our sinful nature, we we, uh, tend to, to be drawn to those things that give us comfort now. Wealth, homes, cars, reputations, on and on and on, things that, that while not unimportant, those things are, are good and they are good gifts that you've given that are to be enjoyed. But Lord, as soon as we focus on the gift, we miss the fact that you are the great giver, Father, and that all things come from your hand and all things are returned to your hand. Father, help us to see that truth. Help us to store up treasures in heaven that will last last for all eternity, things that impact your kingdom, things that impact the gospel, the spread of your gospel, gospel, the building of your kingdom. Help us to make the sacrifices in this lifetime, Lord, that will last for an eternity. Help us to care for the least of these. 
Father, again, my prayer is that you would work in each one of us to guard our hearts, that we might honor you in all that we do. We love you. We want to serve you. We want to glorify you in all things. For it is in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, please rise for the benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in his peace.